Chapter twenty six, part one of the combined maze by may sinclair this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by expatriate in bangor maine chapter twenty six it was in the cruelty of it in that sudden barbarous tearing of the children from winnie of winnie from ransom and of ransom from his home in that hurried surreptitious flight through the darkness that he most felt the pressure and the malignant pinch of poverty owing to his straitened circumstances with all his mother's forethought and good will with all the combined resources of their ingenuity they could do no better than meet his lamentable case than this this indeed was imperative inevitable he reflected bitterly that if he had been a rich man like the manager or the secretary of woolridge's instead of a ledger clerk that was all that his last rise had made him at a hundred and fifty a year he would have been spared this it would have been neither inevitable nor imperative it simply wouldn't have happened he would have had a house with a staff of competent servants a nurse for the children a cook and maybe a housemaid to manage for him and so forth winnie wouldn't have come into it and it would never have occurred to her to run the risk she had run for him there would have been no need she would have remained serene beautiful in sympathy outside his calamity untouched by its sordidness its taint all the machinery of his household would have gone on in spite of it without any hitch or dislocation working all the more smoothly in the absence of its mistress that was how rich people came out of this sort of thing right side up smiling knowing as they did that there was nothing to spoil the peace of it for them or make them apt to mistake it for anything but the blessing that it was thus they got as you may say the whole good out of it without any waste at the worst if they didn't like it rich people driven to flight depart from the scene of their disaster with dignity in cabs but ranny's departure with all its ignominy was not by any means the worst the worst incomparably was the going back on monday evening to settle up there was a man coming from wandsworth with a handcart for the cots the high chair and all the baby's furniture and the kids toys and the little clothes their whole diminutive outfit and for what he needed of his own and when all the packing was done he would still have to go into things by the things he had to go into he meant the drawers and the cupboards in his wife's room and such things it was as if the whole tale of her adultery with all its secret infamy its squalor its utter callousness was there in that room of the love-knots and the rosebuds in the locked wardrobe the key was on the chimney-piece where he could find it he came on her old skirts draggled and torn and stained as he had known them on the muslin gown of last year loathsome and limp bent like a hanged corpse and on her very nightgown of the other night dreadfully familiar shrinking poor ghost of an abomination in its corner and under them in a row the shoes that her feet had gone in misshapen trodden down at heel gaping to deliver up her shame these things winnie had collected and put away in order and hidden out of his sight as best she could seeing she too the tale they told she had hung a sheet in front of them and locked the door on them and laid the key aside to break in some degree the shock of them for they were things that had been good enough for him but not good enough for violet's lover she had gone to him in all her bravery leaving them behind not caring who found them and there was more to be gone through before he had finished with it 
there were the drawers crammed with little things the collars the ribbons and the laces and one or two trinkets that he had given her cast off with the rest all folded and tidied by winnie smoothed and coaxed out of the memories they held the creases that betrayed the slattern and with them tucked away by winnie defiled beyond redemption almost beyond recognition the sachet smelling of violets and with the word violet sprawling all across it in embroidery all these things the dresses the shoes and the rest of them he gathered up in handfuls and flung into an old trunk which he locked and pushed under the bed then he set his teeth and went on with his task in the soiled linen basket among his own handkerchiefs as he counted them he found one queerly scented and of a strange arresting pattern it had the monogram l m stitched into the corner she must have borrowed it from the beast or else the beast had been in the house and had left it there that finished him finished as he was in every sense thoroughly instructed furnished with details that fitted out and rounded off all that was vague and incomplete in his vision of the thing he was still unprepared for the question with which his mother met him have you told mr and mrs usher he hadn't he had forgotten mr and mrs usher forgotten that this prolongation of his ordeal would be necessary well you'll have to well, of course i'll have to will you go and see him no i can't i'll write he wrote in the afternoon of the next day at woolridge's in the luncheon hour when he had the ledger clerk's pen to himself he was very brief he received his father-in-law's reply by return mr usher made no comment beyond an almost perfunctory expression of regret but he said that he must see randall and as the journey between elstree and wandsworth was somewhat long to be undertaken after office hours he proposed the bald-faced stag edgware as a convenient halfway house for them to meet at and wednesday at seven or thereabouts as the day and hour thus he allowed time for randall to receive his letter and if necessary to answer it no telegraphing for mr usher except in case of death actual or imminent ransom supposed that he would have to see him and get it over soon after seven on wednesday then mr usher having ridden over on his mare polly and ransom on his bicycle they met in the parlour of the bald-faced stag edgware mr usher's friend the landlord had undertaken that they should not be disturbed it was impossible for ransom not to notice something queer about his father-in-law something utterly unlike the bluff and genial presence he had known mr usher seemed to have shrunk somehow and withered so that you might have said the catastrophe had hit him hard if that his mere bodily shrinkage had been all what struck ransom as specially queer about mr usher was the manner and the expression of his face you could almost have called it crafty guilty it was too consciously guilty the furtive face of a man on the defensive armed with all his little cunning against a possible attack having entrenched himself in the parlour of the bald-faced stag as on neutral territory what say to a bit of supper my boy before we begin business it was a false and feeble imitation of his old heartiness over a supper of cold ham and cheese and beer they discussed ransom's father's health and his mother's health and mrs usher's health which was poor and mr usher's prospects which were poorer not to say bad he leaned on this point and returned to it as if it might have a possible bearing on the matter actually in hand and with a certain disagreeable effect of craftiness and intention 
it was as if he wished to rub it in that whatever else randall forgot he wasn't to forget that that he had nothing to look to nothing to hope for in his father-in-law's prospects as if he mr usher had arranged this meeting at the bald-faced stag for the express purpose of making that clear of forestalling all possible misunderstanding he kept it before him with the cheese and beer on the brown oilcloth of the table from which poor randall found it increasingly difficult to lift his eyes it was almost a relief to him when mr usher pushed his plate away with a groan of satiety and began well what's all this i hear about violet randall intimated that he had heard all there was yes but what's the meaning of it that's what i want to know randall put it that its meaning was that it had simply happened and suggested that his father-in-law was in every bit as good a position for understanding it as he i dare say but what i'm trying to get at is did you do anything to make it happen what on earth do you suppose i did well there might be faults on both sides though i don't say as there were but did you do anything to prevent it tell me that what could i do i didn't know it was going to happen you should have known you was warned fair enough was i who warned me i should like to know why i did and her mother did told you straight don't you go for to say i let you marry the girl under false pretenses or her mother either i told you what sort violet was straight as i could without vilifying my own flesh and blood did you want me to tell you straighter did you want me to put a name to it his little eyes shot sidelong at randall out of his fallen shrunken fatness more than ever crafty and intent he was pitiful randall could have been sorry for him but that he showed himself so mean his little eyes gave him so villainously away they disclosed the fullness of his knowledge they said he had known things about violet he had known them all the time things that he randall never knew and he hadn't let on not he why should he he had been too eager poor man to get violet married his eagerness that had appeared as the hardy flower of his geniality betrayed itself now as the sinister thing it was when you thought of the name that he could have given her randall did not blame him he was past blaming anybody he only said to himself that this explained what had seemed so inexplicable the attitude the incredible attitude of mr and mrs usher how they had leaped at him in all his glaring impossibility an utter stranger with no adequate income and no prospects how they had hurried on the marriage past all prudence how they had driven him on and fooled him and helped him to his folly but he was not going to let them fool him any more look here mr usher i don't know what your game is and i don't care i dare say you think you told me what you say you did but you didn't you didn't tell me anything not one blessed thing and if you had it wouldn't have done any good i wouldn't have believed you you needn't reproach yourself i was mad on violet i meant to marry her and i did marry her that's all well said mr usher partially abandoning his position so long as you don't hold me responsible of course i don't hold you responsible i'm sure me and the missus we've done what we could to make it easier for you he gazed before him conjuring up between them a quiet vision of the long procession of hampers a reminder to randall of how deeply as it was he stood indebted and we can't do no more that's how it is no more we can't do i'm not asking you to do anything what do you want i want to know what you're going to do my boy do yes do about what about violet 
talk of responsibility you took it on yourself contrary to the warnings what you had when you married her and having taken it you ought to have looked after her knowing what she is you ought to have looked after her better than you've done how could i have looked after her how why as any other man would you should have made her work work with her hands as i told you instead of giving her her head like you did and letting her sit bone idle in that jimcrack dollhouse of yours from morning till night why you should have taken a stick to her there's many a man as would before he'd a let it come to that damn me if i know why you didn't well really mr usher i suppose i couldn't forget she was a woman 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 i'd a womaned her look here my boy it's a sad business and there's no one sorrier for you than i am but there's no good you and me broodin mournful over what she's done course she'd do it as long as you let her you hadn't ought to have let her and seein as how you have seems to me what you got to do now is to take her back again i can't take her back again and why not because of the children for one thing that argument had its crushing effect on mr usher and made him pause a perceptible moment before he answered well you needn't look to me and her mother to have her randall rose as much as to say that this was enough it was too much it was the end we've done with her you took her out of our hands what had a hold on her and you owe it to her mother and me to take her back if that's all you've got to say mr usher it isn't all i've got to say what i got to say is this before you was married randall i don't mind telling you now my girl was a bit too close about you for my fancy i've never rightly understood how you two came together there as they fixed him his little eyes took on their craftiness again and his mouth a smile a smile of sensual tolerance and understanding as between one man of the world and another i don't know and i don't want to know but however it was i'm not asking mind you however it was he was all solemn now you made yourself responsible for that girl and responsible you will be held it may have been that mr usher drew a bow at a venture it may have been that he really knew that he had always known anyhow that last stroke of his was in its way consummate it made it impossible for randall to hit back effectively impossible for him to say now if he had wished to say it that he had not been warned for it seemed to imply that if mr usher's suspicions were correct randall had had an all-sufficient warning impossible for him to maintain as against a father whom he upon the supposition had profoundly injured an attitude of superior injury if mr usher had deceived randall hadn't randall in the first instance deceived mr usher in short it left them quits it closed randall's mouth and with it the discussion and so that the balance as between them leaned if anything to mr usher's side well i'm sorry for you randall as if he could afford it now mr usher permitted himself a return to geniality he paused in the doorway if at any time you should want a hamper you've only got to say so and randall did not blame him he said to himself poor old thing it's funk pure funk he's afraid he may have to take her back himself and who could blame him funny that his father-in-law should have taken the same line as his uncle randall only whereas his uncle randall had reckoned with the alternative of divorce his father-in-law had not so much as hinted at the possibility end of chapter seven part one recording by expatriate in bangor maine